It's the confluence where the news comes together on 90.5 WESA. I'm Kevin Gavin. Pennsylvania Republican lawmakers did not appeal the Commonwealth Court ruling that found the state's education funding model unconstitutional. This decision means that lawmakers now need to develop a new system to fund public education more equitably. Ron Cowell is the founder and senior fellow at the Education Policy and Leadership Center. Ron, welcome to the program. Good to be here. Thank you. Michael Griffith, senior researcher and policy analyst at the Learning Policy Institute. Michael, thanks for joining us. Thanks for inviting me. And Matthew Kelly is an assistant professor of education at Penn State University. Matthew, good to have you here. Thank you for having me. All right. Before we look ahead to possible remedies, let's remind everyone how we got here. Uh, 2014, six school districts, the Pennsylvania Association of Rural and Small Schools, NAACP of Pennsylvania, small group of parents with children filed suit against the governor and legislative leaders claiming they violated the Constitution by failing to provide fair and adequate education for students in less wealthy districts. It took seven years to go to trial, several months of testimony, finally the ruling in February by Commonwealth Court Judge Renee Cohn Jubilee. I'm going to start with, were you surprised by the ruling? Ron, we'll start with you. Uh, in a sense, uh, no, I was not surprised at all because the evidence is overwhelming uh, that uh, the Pennsylvania system is not fair. Uh, and indeed, uh, the judge said it's unconstitutional. Uh, I would add uh, a little bit more history, though, to uh, what you described. Uh, the predecessor to this particular case goes back to 1991. Uh, that's when more than 100 school districts came together. Uh, under the auspices of uh, the Pennsylvania Association of Rural and Small Schools, they went into court uh, and made similar arguments, uh, just not so effectively, apparently. Uh, but also, uh, at the end of the day there, the court in Pennsylvania ruled that it wasn't their business. Uh, they told the plaintiffs, go see your legislator. Uh, so the case that was filed in 2014, in a sense, was a redo uh, what was significant in this case, though, is the Supreme Court said it is our business. And they directed the lower court to hear the evidence. Uh, and then, of course, the uh, the court heard the evidence and made a uh, most compelling decision. Michael, were you surprised at all? I wouldn't say surprised, um, but you never know with these court cases. It, as Ron said, there were two different ones in Pennsylvania and the courts ruled differently on each of those. We've seen these types of court cases brought up in most states. Um and how the court rules is kind of unpredictable. You have states that are pretty conservative, like Wyoming, where the courts ruled in favor of the school districts and had a pretty strong ruling there. But you go to more sort of blue liberal states and their courts don't necessarily side with the school district. So you never really know how these are going to play out. Um, so it was really interesting to me, but I wouldn't say surprising necessarily. <laughs> Matthew, you're going to make it unanimous and no one is surprised? <laughs> Um, yeah, I think that looking at the um, structure of the system and the scope and scale of the inequities and inadequacies using the state's own data, the state's own measures, the state's own definitions, uh, it is unambiguous. Uh, there is, um, you know, no question about how um, inequitable and inadequate the system is. Um, and so I think there is... Um, 
no way within the state's own data to suggest that otherwise. And so in that sense, there's there's no surprise there because um, the data is just so crystal clear about how uh, massive the inequities and inadequacies are in the Commonwealth right now. All right. Uh, again, to each of you, how long would you project if Pennsylvania started today and they're supposed to be starting, do you think it could take to reformulate how we fund education? Matthew, we're going to start this time with you. Sure. So the scope and scale of these inequities and inadequacies is crystal clear. So using the state's own definition of, for example, um, you know, what inadequacy shortfall is and how much additional funding districts would need. Uh, there's a very clear number from the state's own kind of uh, formulas and, and calculations that they released through 2010 to 11 of how much additional funding they need. And so given the clarity of the scope and scale of the problem, um, I think that the solution could be uh, enacted, um, you know, right away, given how um, unambiguous it is what's needed here um, to grow the pie of funding and then distribute that pie in an equitable manner to districts. Mm -hmm. um, and so, I, you know, I hope that the solution comes right away every day that it doesn't. That's going to be impacting the kinds of opportunities that are provided to students in the Commonwealth. Um, you know, it's students in low wealth districts that are being uh, shortchanged here. It's uh, students from low income families, black and brown students being particularly shortchanged. Um, you know, students only have one year in kindergarten. Uh, I, you know, I, I do hope that this gets addressed right away because um, there are students sitting in, in inadequately and inequitably funded schools. And um, it has consequences for the opportunities they have. Um, and the kinds of educational experiences that they can receive. Mm -hmm. Michael. So, yeah, I Matthew kind of laid out how it's looking here in Pennsylvania, and I can tell you in other states, it ranges from it can be solved as quickly as one legislative session to sometimes it takes years and years. Um, and it's, you know, you've got to look at two important things in Pennsylvania, right? It's not just the funding amount, but it's the distribution of those funds. And both of those, the court said, need to be worked on. Um, both can be kind of tricky. But again, if the commitment is there, you can do it pretty quickly. If states like California that did it in just a couple of years, they went from their old system to a brand new system. Um, and it's just, is the commitment there to do that? Ron, you worked in state government as a lawmaker. Uh, can they do it quickly? Uh, can they? Yes, absolutely. Uh, it could be fixed in one budget season uh, if the legislature uh, would be willing and the governor would be willing to commit the resources, not just for one year, but for subsequent years then. Uh, and that's the tricky part. Uh, the Pennsylvania legislature historically uh, has uh, uh, stayed away from making any kind of significant commitment uh, to a funding formula uh, that would answer the question, how much money do we need to put into this system? Uh, several years ago, there was a brand new formula. Folks applauded it. It was generally a good idea. Uh, but the legislature stipulated that that new formula was going to apply only to new money. And they didn't want that commission telling them what they ought to put in. So uh, I am less optimistic uh, that the legislature is going to act promptly on this. All right. Uh, you're referring to the fair funding formula. Uh, Michael. Just to kind of touch on what Ron said, he's absolutely right. We've seen this in other states where the court the courts came out, they talked about additional funding. 
for schools that was necessary. The legislature came through, but it was only short term. So in Kansas, for instance, they met the court mandate, the legislature, but then they kind of let it slip after a couple of years. And then the court, the, the schools had to take the, the state back to court and they had to get a whole other set of rulings. And then the, the legislature had to come up with another remedy. So yeah, it's got to be a long-term solution, not just a one-off. Well, this past budget year, the state spent a little more than $7 billion for basic education funding. The approved but not yet enacted budget, uh, we know, all know about that budget dispute, for this new fiscal year includes an increase of about $567 million. So should $7.6 billion in state funding for basic education plus the local district revenues be enough to provide a quality education for students across Pennsylvania? Ron? Well, it depends which local community you're talking about. We have 500 school districts, and uh, they range from very wealthy to very poor. Uh, and as a result of the state being cheap about its level of support, $7 billion is a lot. A $500 million increase would be a lot, but it is clearly not enough. And it ranks Pennsylvania among the lowest states uh, in terms of uh, uh, the state share. Uh, of K-12 costs. So we're excessively dependent on local wealth, which usually means property taxes. So as a result of that dependency on local wealth, uh, we have the worst system in the country uh, in terms of uh, opportunity for kids. The gap between the low spending or the, let me say the poor districts and the wealthier districts uh, and the resources they can put to support education for every individual student uh, is the worst in the country. That gap is the worst in the country. Matthew. Uh, yeah, it's, you know, we have 1.7 million students um, that the Commonwealth is fiscally responsible for in, in our public schools. And um, the amount of funds that districts are receiving um, are insufficient. And so, you know, we see these large gaps, just as Ron said, where, you know, those districts that have the least amount of taxable wealth, uh, according to the Commonwealth, they have the greatest need for additional funding. On average, according to the Commonwealth's own measures, they're, you know, taxing themselves at a higher rate. Uh, and they are still producing far less than, um, you know, the, the Commonwealth itself would say that they need for their students to have a chance to meet state standards. So, um, you know, districts need additional funding. Um, districts that do not have the local wealth to tap into to generate that funding um, are systematically being disadvantaged by the current system. Um, and it has a very clear impact on the kinds of educational experiences and opportunities students can receive in those districts. Um, and so uh, there needs to be a uh, large investment given the scope and scale of the inadequacies uh, into the system and in the, um, you know, increase that uh, might be in the budget this year, if we just look at inflation alone, it's really kind of uh, just kind of keeping pace with that. Um, when at the same time, there are adequacy shortfalls of, you know, in the range of 4.6 billion, according to the state's own uh, definitions, and that's of additional funding uh, that districts would need in aggregate. We're talking about equitable school funding with Ron Cowell, Michael Griffith, and Matthew Kelly. When we talk about school funding, we hear the word high quality. All students deserve high quality education. So, Matthew, I'm going to start with you on this one. As a professor of education, how do you define high quality? 
Well, we know quite clearly that when school districts uh, don't have the funds that they need, they cannot provide students with the opportunities to meet the standards the state has set for them. Uh, we also know from scholarship on school funding quite clearly that when states uh, equalize funding and ensure that there is an adequate share of funding within school districts, uh, that students will uh, experience better short and uh, long-term outcomes. So increased test scores, uh, increased high school graduation rates, but even in the long run, um, be more likely to experience intergenerational mobility, uh, less likely to experience poverty as an adult. Uh, and so what we know quite, quite clearly from the research is that money matters for student outcomes. Uh, and when districts don't have uh, the resources that they need uh, and don't have that money to spend, it's going to directly impact uh, what students learn and what they can accomplish uh, and whether they can meet the goals that the state is uh, essentially setting for them through their standards. Ron, should we be using more objective, more very strictly defined terms than high quality? Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, I think we have a pretty good sense of what that means. And so whether we use some other term uh, I think the court decision uh, spelled out uh, with great uh, specificity uh, what the components are of high quality. Uh, the judge made it very clear uh, after listening to experts, listening to school district superintendents and other practitioners and other school leaders, uh, what it takes to give every student a reasonable opportunity. You know, what we have set uh, as a commonality or a uniformity uh, of policy in Pennsylvania and in probably most of the states now, since 1994-95, we've had a set of academic standards, which really are academic expectations. You know, we've said this is the important stuff. Uh, all students ought to become proficient with this subject matter. And it is uh, by that measure uh, that we determine how well individual students are doing, how well school districts are doing, you know, lawmakers have been quick to point to those test results, et cetera, uh, but not so quick uh, to provide the resources that are necessary to give every student a chance to accomplish the stuff that we said was so important. Mm -hmm. Michael, you have studied other states. You've researched it. Is there a, an ideal that Pennsylvania could point to that they could borrow from? They could adapt uh, our system not necessarily based on, but maybe influenced by a little bit of another state. Sure. There are always states that you can take a look at. And, and Ron's absolutely right. When we talk about quality, you look at outcome. You can also look at input. So you can look at things like class sizes that we know matter, uh, quality of teachers and other things like that. But you can look to a state like Maryland that went through and did a lot of work on their school funding system. And they said, look, we want to come up with a system that is both adequate and equitable that's providing every student with the resources that they need. So they looked at things like community schools, which are these ideas that you provide all the services within the schools. And they realized a lot of low uh, income areas need these additional services. So this can be things like healthcare in schools, you know, after school activities, uh, safe programs for the summer uh, and during the weekends, all of those programs provided within the school building. Um, and so 
looking at a state like Maryland who has tackled this, looking like at a state like California that just adopted a system, those are places that you might find some of the solutions. All right, Ron, briefly, please. Yeah, uh, two things that I don't think were mentioned uh, that need to be a part of uh, uh, building the capacity. One, nutrition. Uh, we're the richest country in the world. It is crazy, in my opinion, that we have these big debates about whether we're going to feed kids. Uh, and the evidence is clear. Kids need to be well-nutritioned uh, if they're going to come to class and, and have a chance to succeed. And secondly, the issue of facilities, the quality of facilities uh, is imperative as well. Uh, we have school buildings with bathrooms that none of us would want to use. Uh, we have uh, asbestos problems. There are significant facility issues, and that often relates to the relative wealth of a school district. Mm-hmm. Uh, that there was testimony during the uh, the court case that led to this ruling about the quality or uh, lack of quality in uh, some of the conditions you just referenced, Ron. So. It's now up to the Basic Education Funding Commission, comprised of four education committee chairs and two legislators from the House and Senate of each party, each to work to determine how much money is needed and where. So I'm going to ask each of you your advice to them. And Matthew, we're going to start with you. Um, I would uh, just look at what is crystal clear in the state's own data using the state's own definitions um, and start there. I think it's very clear that the system as it's structured has created these massive inequities and inadequacies. Um, that you know, it's unambiguous. It's uh, perhaps disheartening, but I think the silver lining is that it's crystal clear, uh, given the scope and scale of the issue, uh, what needs to be done to address it. And so, uh, I I would say, you know, just starting with the state's own data definitions, um, what what the state itself has already endorsed and and kind of defined is a great starting point. So, uh, Michael, uh, is it a great stating, uh, starting point? Do they have sort of the pathway to do this? Uh, what is your advice? Yeah, I agree with Matthew. Um, I would say there's a lot of research that's already been done in Pennsylvania. You have a lot of the stuff that was done for the court case. You also have examples from other states. I think you can move forward with all of this fairly quickly. Um, I would also say some states have done a phase-in program. So they said, look, in three years, four years, you know, we will get there and here's the, here are the steps we will take to fully fund our schools and fully implement a new funding formula. So you don't have to do it overnight, but you do have to kind of get moving on it to make sure it gets implemented in time for the kids who are in school right now. So they can, they can take advantage of the, the better funding system. And your advice, Ron Cowell. Uh, I think the General Assembly needs to start by accepting responsibility. Uh, it is state policy that has provided inadequate funding, uh, ineffectively distributing it, and causing us to be excessively dependent on the relative wealth of local school districts. Uh, they need to recognize that and accept responsibility for having caused it, and then accept responsibility to fix it. Uh, very quick, uh, brief uh, follow-up, Ron. Is that kind of sound maybe a little frustrated? Is that what got you out of Harrisburg and to get more into education advocacy or what? No, it wasn't frustration. I, I had 24 years of wonderful experience uh, uh, in the legislature. I was on the education committee all that time, chaired it half the time. Uh, I was turning 50. I started as a young guy. I, I was turning 50, and I decided that uh, uh, I wanted to stay involved in Pennsylvania and with education, uh, but to do it from a different perspective. All right. In our last two minutes, so about 30 seconds for each of you, 
Do you expect to see a new education funding system in the next two years, three years, five years? And uh, Matthew, let's start with you. Uh, I hope so. There are students in uh, underfunded schools that are experiencing the consequences of inequities and inadequacies. They need to be addressed every day that we delay that. Um, those students uh, are being forced to attend schools that don't have the resources to give them the opportunities they need. You hope so, or are you optimistic? Uh, <laughs> I, I hope so. The data is very, very clear, uh, and it is clear now that there is a, a constitutional promise that mm -hmm. that needs to be there. And so I do hope that um, that will be there uh, right away so students don't have to continue to attend inadequately in inequitably funded schools. Michael, 30 seconds, please. You know, I feel optimistic. I think there is a good possibility that a new funding system will be in place. And so, yeah, I, I honestly believe it's something the state can do and will do. All right. And the final words from Ron Cowell. Uh, unless there is more direct court intervention, uh, I think progress is going to be slow. The reality is change happens in Harrisburg incrementally. Uh, very seldom does uh, big change happen overnight. So I think we're going to see incremental change. Uh, hopefully it's going to be incremental and meaningful progress year to year. So phased in probably not just one big plan. Not just one big plant, but uh, again, incremental change over several years. Ron Cow is the founder and senior fellow at the Education Policy and Leadership Center. Michael Griffith is senior researcher and policy analyst at the Learning Policy Institute. And Matthew Kelly is an assistant professor of education at Penn State University. Gentlemen, thanks to all of you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And for today, that is the Confluence, where the news comes together on 90.5 WESA. After a seven-year run, WESA will end production of the Confluence next Friday, August 4th. We hope you've enjoyed listening to the program and tune in next week for our final shows. And next time, the Strip District has changed tremendously over the last two decades. The state of the Strip. And a visit with the father of robotics, Pittsburgh's own Red Whitaker. Thanks to our team. Addison Deal, Laura Sutsui, and Mary Lee Williams. I'm Kevin Gavin. Until next time, hope you have a good day of good news.